0: A-Cash recommends.
1: You're listening to Pop, the History Makers, with me, Steve Blaine. Stefan Helmado, welcome. Um, I mean, this is a a pleasure because obviously I'm part of your book, (laughs) No Um, Limit, Stockholm Clubland, 92... Um, to 95, which is a really fascinating uh, insight into Stockholm at that time. Um, But I want to start with you and when you were growing up. Can you tell me a little bit about your creative influences that were upon you when you were growing up?
0: Well, um, I guess that would probably be movies and music, I would say. Um, I was drawing a lot as a child and I would draw cowboys and Indians and pirates and knights and like characters from old black and white movies. But mostly I took inspiration from my dad's uh, record collection, really. There would be uh, black jazz artists or some long-haired rock guys. Uh, I remember I drew the Beatles and uh, people that looked way cooler than anyone I'd seen in real life. I still have those drawings that my father saved for me. I wish I could show you. They're actually quite good.
1: (laughs) (laughs) How was creativity or a career in creativity viewed in your family?
0: My parents saw I had a talent and uh, they encouraged me to keep drawing and to keep building stuff. And uh, I liked woodwork and I also sewed some of my clothes and... Uh, then in high school I took up photography which then became my main interest uh, and soon soon I decided to become a photographer instead of a doctor or a biologist which was my original plan um, and my parents had decided to let their kids go their own way and so they didn't complain but later I learned that they were a bit worried and it wasn't until I was accepted to Sweden's most esteemed design school that they could feel a bit more relaxed about my choice of career.
1: So what attracted you to a study in design and how did that study focus you?
0: I started advertising and graphic design at Beckmann School of Design and the main focus was on de- developing the creativity rather than just prepare you for a job as an art director or something. And uh, a really great school, actually. Um, I wanted to keep doing photography and combine it with graphic design. And um, so after graduation during the 90s, I I would do both, uh, separately or together. Um, I would make a lot of album covers and book covers, club flyers, um, but I also did a lot of photo work for youth magazines and such.
1: Your publication, No Limit, chose to look at the Stockholm clubland years between 92 and 95. Can you tell me a little bit about the concept of No Limit?
0: I was sitting on a huge pile of quite unique photos from the early 90s and photos documenting a very vibrant and colorful era of Stockholm club life. And in those years, nobody brought cameras to the clubs and... um, It was way before smartphones, of course, and in fact, I never saw any other documentation of this era. So I decided, why not put it all together in a book and also track down some of the people on the pictures and um, I actually managed to find 108 of those former club kids, uh, which was great fun of course, and they were all interviewed and photographed again 25 years later and Uh, A good friend of mine and a former club kid called Mickey Boman, I think you know him, he helped with the interviews and I then finished the text work and had it all translated to English.
1: I mean, you mentioned some reasons why you chose those years, 92 to 95. Are there any other particular reasons why those years were significant?
0: Yeah, uh, I mean, those years are simply the years I have documented. So they... The material the material really chose what years, but uh, they are also the peak years of the crazy, extravagant club fashion that has not been seen in Stockholm ever since. And also, in those years, a great change took place in Stockholm. The image of Stockholm abroad shifted from polar bears and hot blondes and uh, to a creative mecca. <laughs> Uh, Very much thanks to all these creative people gathering at the Stockholm club scene. A lot of great Swedish artists and producers, directors and designers started to make their way outside of Sweden at this time. And uh, MTV started to take interest. MTV really had an immense impact on young people back then. Yourself and the MTV crew started to go to Stockholm on, on a monthly basis to interview new bands and even become regulars at some of the clubs and uh, i know you used to come over and party quite a lot with la camilla right <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah i used to party a lot yeah
1: i mean i think you know stockholm obviously has this uh creative atmosphere but i still think there's a there's a few polar bears and hot blondes of both <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: so stockholm was changing and we became less isolated in the north and This development has, of course, just kept on going with the IT boom and the never-ending row of hit music coming from Sweden.
1: Now, in um, 1992, you were one of the Stockholm club kids, but in your perspective, what had been available up until that point? You know,
0: what had been available in the years previous? In Stockholm, the club scene of the 80s was mainly rock music and black jeans, really, and different kinds of rock clubs. Then, towards the end of the decade, this new scene started to grow with electronic dance music and colorful and creative styling and so on, which then sort of exploded in the early 90s.
1: What other club scenes do you think had influenced the Stockholm club
0: scene at that point? Some brought influences from New York or Paris, but London was the big, big inspiration. All the club kids wanted to go to London as often as they could for the clubs and to buy club where they couldn't find in Stockholm. A DJ friend told me he would call his favorite record store in London and have them play the new releases over the phone for him to choose from. <laughs> Landline, of course, this was way before phones, cell phones or internet.
1: Just out of interest, you say the club scene in London. Do you mean like the early 80s, like Blitz or the mid-80s Taboo, that era?
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: Okay. In terms of the political state of the world, did that also play into this scene?
0: The Cold War of the 80s made us believe that there there was no future. And uh, Sweden had the worst financial crisis since the 30s with massive unemployment. So... The fall of the Berlin Wall, along with the financial crisis, it swept away everything. And there was this feeling of starting over, you know? Um, Time to press the restart button. Like, everything was possible.
1: How much did the type of music and the styling that went into it play into the creativity of the clubs and the people that went to those clubs? And what bands would you say became important in that
0: process in the interviews for no limit it becomes clear that the two major sources of inspiration for for uh, new looks came uh, from first mtv and uh, also trendy fashion mags like the face and id and dazed and confused arena all from london and you know we had mtv going in the background all the time and whenever something new and interesting came up, you would start copying the concept best you could and mix it up with your own ideas. One example would be Madonna and her Gaultier collaboration and, uh, or perhaps bands like Prodigy or Delight, jazz maybe. Who started
1: the process which led to the development of this new club <sighs> scene back then?
0: Uh, it, it all started with the legendary club Baby uh, back in 1987, I think. It was run by Mats and Moa, who had brought the inspiration from London. Um, they had spent a few years clubbing in at the Blitz and Taboo. They wanted to create something similar in Stockholm and, you know, with the eccentric looks and a really wild mix of music. And um, it went on for a year and it was a great success among trendy young clubbers in Stockholm. This eventually led up to the era of Deep and Vegas and the other clubs in my book.
1: So you mentioned that you'd been studying design and you were a photographer, but how did you get into being a photographer or documenter of the Stockholm club scene? What did you first do and what clubs were you able to document? In
0: 1992, uh, I was a dedicated club kid myself, as you mentioned, and... uh, I had started working with some youth mags and they some, sometimes wanted to cover what was happening on the upcoming club scene. And through my then-girlfriend, I got to know Baltasar Silveira and uh, Staffan Riedelberg. Um They were club cr- promoters and wanted p- publicity for their major parties. So I started doing stories for a magazine called Vecco Uh It wasn't very artistic. Uh, at that point. Uh, I, I did stories for from clubs like and parties like Hairspray and Funky Weekend, Love Vibes, and uh, also the first Deep Party.
1: I mean, you're mentioning Deep there, but tell me about it and the people behind it and what they were trying to create.
0: The people behind it were mainly Baltasar Silveira, Vito Ingrosso, and Jocke Hövel also Stefan Edelberg in the beginning. And um, they had a goal to create the largest and boldest experience with a focus on house and techno and integrating a multimedia experience with dance performances and artists and cool video projections and really awesome light and sound. They basically wanted to create a brand new scene, something we hadn't had in Stockholm before.
1: So tell me about the people who were in that scene, the DJs, the performers, you know, the guests, everyone.
0: Hypernature and the dance crew, they were like the main act. Hypernature was Yucke and Vito's electronic music act. And as they were also professional dancers, they would always create an amazing dance performance to go with the music. And during the evening, artists would perform such as Leila Kay and La Camilla, Stacabo. Sissi Moon and House of Virginism, even Kim Macell one time. They brought foreign DJs along with Swedish acts like Kari Leke Alexi Alexei Delano, Swimix.
1: You mentioned Balthasar Siviera, if I got the name right. And mm-hmm. in 1993, he suggested you photograph the second deep party. Tell me where that was and what this led to.
0: He knew that deep party would be something special. so. He offered me to make an exhibition at Trånan, where he used to DJ. And Trånan was the trendiest bar in Stockholm at this time. And it's still around, by the way, and it's still good. (laughs) It all sounded like fun, so I accepted. And this time I really put an effort to make expressive and artistic photos with lots of energy.
1: So we're coming a bit later Mm -hmm. now, in 1995, where you asked again to do the same with the club Vegas, where uh, Balthazar... Had gone initially as one of the founding people after Deep. So tell me about this club. What was special about it, and what did they offer?
0: Uh, according to many, the best club Stockholm ever had, and uh, I would definitely say so. <laughs> uh, I just loved it, and um, yeah, Baltasar was one of the founders, uh, but he didn't stay for long. And um, the main trio behind Vegas was Klaus Podian. Friedrich Heinig and Robert Boman and um, it was like this glamorous living room for the creative Stockholm and it had a great mix of gay and straight which I loved Um, a lot of amazing outfits some really gay guys at the standard and then the straight crowd would would follow and would look just as glamorous Um, and also the venue was really cool Uh, a big round bar lined with red neon lights and sunken dance floor like uh, it was like a cruise ferry in the middle of town with plush sofas and wall to wall carpeting Uh, for the ironic generation it was just perfect there were two different dance floors a, a mix of resident djs like tony solius he was sort of their main guy and sometimes foreign djs from london or new york and they would also have unexpected performances. There could be a sword swallower or a tightrope dancer. Or one night, I remember, they had strobe ping pong. <laughs> they had bands play playing, like the soundtrack soundtrack of our lives played there, and Staccabo and teddy bears, and the cardigans even, some years before they got really big. They also had various theme nights. Uh, my photos include an Elvis evening and also a legendary mas- masquerade ball.
1: Staffan riddleberg who was involved in the development of the club scene, had moved on to um, Monday Bar. What was different about this one? And what sort of offer did they give?
0: Monday Bar was Johnny Boy, uh, a house DJ. He founded the club and he was soon joined by Staffan. Johnny Boy was resident and often joined by Swimix and some high-end foreign bookings like Todd Terry, Todd Terry is in the book, by the way, and uh, Roger Sanchez. You ask what was different with Monday Bar. They had a kind of more suburban crowd, I guess, uh, but they would also attract a fair share of city clubbers. It was considered maybe less cool than Vegas and some of the others, but still worth a visit because of the really great house music and the heavy dancing, of course. They also had the best sound and lights in town, at least according to Stefan. You're
1: listening to POP, The History Makers, with me, Steve Blame. What were the other clubs in in the scene and what separated them from the ones that you've mentioned?
0: I ended up taking pictures in various other clubs too, like the club 2001, I think, is worth mentioning. Another trio, Kalle Moonson, Kalle Linder and Jesper Kotoft. They ran the club in 1995 at Karelia. It was a former Finnish hotel that hosted senior nights and it was a venue that had seen its heydays pass a long time ago and the club stuck out by reveling in kitschy 70s decor. They just played old 70s disco. Again, the ironic 90s. You should know that this was way before disco even had had any real revival. Nobody was listening to it. The fly design was also very kitschy, uh, cartoonish and really brilliant, I would say some of them displayed in No Limit. How easy
1: was it to get people and to, to actually you know, get them photographed and interviewed for No Limit?
0: It was really easy, actually. Very few turned me down. Uh, the hard part, I would say, was tracking them all down, and which was a lot, lot of fun, of course. Uh, some of these club kids are also now big names and they were all happy to be part of No Limit, fortunately. Uh, I've got Leila Kay, uh, the rap artist who released some big hits like Got to Get and Electric. Uh, La Camilla of Armor of Lovers, of course. Uh, Juan Renk, who calls himself, he, he called himself Above then, and he had a couple of hits on MTV uh, in the 90s. Uh, he's now a very successful director of TV series like Breaking Bad and Chernobyl and we also made a lot of music videos for Madonna and David Bowie and such. We've got Petri Siepen, a celebrity host and DJ, then a model and a go go dancer, and a really outrageous TV host at ZTV, uh, which was like a Swedish version of MTV. We have uh, Josefim Krafford, uh, now a celebrity radio host, host uh, then a model, also hosting ZTV, which a lot of people did in this scene. Apollo and, and his act House of Virginism topped the British dance chart, and he's now an author and a performer. Lars Valin, Sweden's most renowned couture designer, and uh, Jonas Hallberg, celebrity stylist in Hollywood, and he also hosted Swedish top model. Vito Ingrosso, father of Sebastian Ingrosso, who's a member of Swedish House Mafia. J.J. Johansson, an artist and musician with worldwide fame. It goes on. Per Hagman, a prominent author. Lina an actress. Uh, There is also Seba, Sweden's number one drum and bass DJ. He's also in the book, uh, on a photo, uh, with the the British drum and bass artist Goldie. And also Pingu Rimir, of course, who used to be a glamour girl photographer.
1: I mean, it's very much like the Blitz Club in the eighties, and I interviewed Rusty Egan recently, and he was, you know, he did he DJed at the Blitz Club in the, in 79, 80. and um, on the door uh, was St- Steve Strange, and the coat check person was Boy George, and in the wow. club were all these, you know, future fashion designers, video directors, you know, just just so many creative people, and it has that feel about it. Can you give me some examples about how people's look was back at that time?
0: It was more important to be fun than necessarily tasteful, I would say. A lot of glamour, retro kitsch and rave. Strong colours and tight silver and glitter. Uh, We would buy small children's t-shirts with funny prints and mix it with somebody's second hand or maybe some kink from a porn shop. Big jewelry, weird makeup. Some would wear buffaloes or build their own platforms on their sneakers because the stuff you could buy in regular stores in those days was mostly quite boring. And instead, we would buy secondhand at thrift stores and rebuild them at home.
1: How important do you think they saw that time in terms of their future careers?
0: Uh, you mean afterwards? Yeah. Uh, most of the people we inter- interviewed. Emphasize uh, the great importance of being part of this creative group at this particular time in Stockholm and uh, and how their future careers often sprang sprang out of this uh, rather than whatever they chose to study or not
1: so how much do you think that the fact that so many creative people were coming together in the night added to the creative output of Stockholm and has that had an impact impact that is still felt today?
0: Uh, I think it was a great symbiosis, really. The club scene was a place where creative people would meet and where new ideas would flourish. and uh, when some of these creatives became successful and broke new grounds, and sometimes internationally, uh, the club life would also benefit in return. Uh, we had the feeling that everything is possible, and As you know, Sweden is still in the front row when it comes to music and design and IT.
1: So how did the club life and and you documenting this scene develop you as a photographer? And do you see a development yourself in the type of photos that you did back then and the ones that you do now?
0: Taking club photos is just one of many things I do or did. I worked a lot for magazines and... I work with fashion and portrait and reportage, and I also do advertising and some filming and I like doing music videos. And so I have many styles, but in the club photos, I think I developed a taste for hard flashlight and strong expressions, which I guess I sometimes bring to the other types of work too.
1: What was the best club night you've ever had and why? <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's a very hard one. Um, I think I have to say the Masquerade Ball at Vegas. Everyone was there and everyone had put an insane effort on their outfits. And the price for tonight's costume went to a girl called Ingi uh, and Lars Wallin, the designer. Uh, they came together dressed as space rims <laughs> and, and they were just amazing. Inge was also seen on the cover of No No Limit by the way. She used to be a model and a stylist, and she had a music act, and she was always best dressed, really. Uh, she's now a successful jewellery designer, still very creative, and she's always she always dress over the top.
1: <laughs> what do you think it would take for something like that, this creative Stockholm scene of that era, what would it take for that to happen again?
0: I don't know. Um... I think there is still creativity in Stockholm among young people, but uh, the world has changed a lot since the '90s, for good and for bad. So, whatever happens, will probably happen in a very different way.
1: The book has been out for a while, and um, in uh, 2019, and there was a launch party in uh, in a, a museum. Was it the photographic museum in Stockholm? Yeah, yeah. yeah. There was a there was a launch party there. Um, what has been so far the reaction to the book? And is there anything else planned in relation to this scene from you? Uh,
0: reaction has been great, uh, wonderful response. And I got a lot of publicity, so I can't complain really. Um, after the re- the release party and exhibition at Fotografiska that you mentioned, um, I w- then I went on doing other events connected to No Limit. Then came COVID and there was a long pause. Now I plan to take No Limit outside of Sweden if I can, find certain bookstores or art galleries in Paris or London, Berlin, New York. So far I've placed it in Tallinn. <laughs> My wife is Estonian, so we go there every year. The book,
1: you know, as as you said, has got many photos of these, uh, well, today, some of them incredibly well-known known people and obviously yeah. back then the people that were in this scene um is there a photo that has a special meaning for you and what significance do you feel it has
0: oh that's really hard <laughs> let me think i do have a couple of pics of a guy called Floro that i really love he was called Floro because his daytime job was being a florist and uh Together with a brilliant clubwear designer called Sergio de Quay, uh, he created some of the wildest and craziest outfits I've ever seen. And it was like something from outer space. The level of creati- creativity and ambition, it, it just puts a smile on my face. <laughs>
1: brilliant. So the final question is, do you go out anymore?
0: <laughs> I do, yeah. Uh, not near as much or as late as I used to, obviously, but... It seems like some of the No Limit generation just refused to fully grow up, up <laughs> which is great.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm with you on that. Never grow up. Stefan Helmardo, <laughs> thank you very much. And I wish you much more success with this wonderful book, No Limit, about the Stockholm club scene between 92 and 95. Thank you. Thank you, Steve.
0: ACAST.COM